Thank you for joining our IAB There special streaming edition powered by Hulu with your host, IAB's Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to IAB There special streaming edition powered by Hulu. My name is Brad Behrens. I'm the editor-in-chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Monday, uh, June 8th. Uh, this is our daily live stream where we connect the digital ecosystem, digital advertising ecosystem. Thank you so much for joining us. Today is the first of our episodes about streaming, again, powered by our friends at Hulu. Thank you so much for your help with this. We have a special show for you with two interviews. First, Mike Bloxham of Magid will be talking with me about streaming and the future of streaming. After that, uh, Eric John, who is the leader of the Video Center of Excellence, will be talking with Asaf Davidov, excuse me, Davidov, uh, of Hulu, uh, and they'll be talking about innovation in advertising. But first, we asked our staff here at the IAB, what are you planning to stream this weekend? We asked them last week, and uh, let's show you what the responses were. Hi, I'm Alexis Smith, and this weekend I'll be watching Atlanta with my mom on Hulu. Go Atlanta! <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Edmondson, and this weekend I'm going to be streaming Narcos and Money Heist for the 400th time on Netflix. Mike here, and for my family's movie night this weekend, we'll be watching Toy Story 4, brought to you by Disney+. Plus. I'm Sarah, and this is my buddy Winston, and this weekend we're going to be watching Law & Order SVU streaming on Hulu. Hi, my name's Jordan Mitchell. I'm with IB Tech Lab. And I don't know what I'm streaming this weekend. I'm going crazy. We just finished Ozark, and we're in that awkward spot where we don't know what's next. I'm Brad Behrens. Can you hear me now? Great. Thank you so much. Uh, as I said, we are going to uh, be asking people to share with us what they're streaming. Uh, and you can do so by sending a note to there at IAB.com. Um, now, for our first guest today, Mike Bloxham is a longstanding thought leader and researcher in everything video. Uh, Mike, I, you and I have known each other for a long time. You were running a uh, insight center at Ball State University. You've been at Magid now for quite some time. Tell us what do you do at Magid? What is your practice? And uh, and then we'll dig in on questions about the the changes in streaming. But tell us first about what you do with your day. Sure. And uh, thanks very much for involving me today. Looking forward to it. Um, yeah. I mean, my my workload is blissfully varied. Um, you know, I work within the global media and entertainment practice which, as the name would suggest, encompasses a multitude of entertainment sins, basically working across the spectrum, across all platforms and different parts of the entertainment business and the content life cycle. Uh, we get involved in, in advertising and marketing-related issues, but we're also very heavily involved in understanding what drives or inhibits 
consumer behavior in relation to different types of uh, entertainment-related offerings. And we work with companies on developing new platforms, new propositions in the marketplace, all the way from feasibility and concept testing through market sizing, interface testing, um, messaging, and so forth. So a wide array of research and consulting within the overall space. So video, the whole enchilada is the short version. Yeah, it's video-centric, but pretty much everything that is then then pivots off of video, how does social relate to video and, and so on. But yeah, enchilada is a All good right. reference point. So uh, we've seen abundant data since the start of the pandemic in March that people are streaming more, they're digging in, and, and, and generally speaking, they're filling a lot of the time that they suddenly have without a commute and not being able to leave the house as frequently with streaming video. What are you seeing and what are the biggest changes that you think have happened uh, because of the pandemic? Sure. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. Across the board in terms of media consumption, we've seen, we've seen increases from, from pretty much day one. And they've been maintained for a very large extent. In more recent times, we have seen the, the sheer volume of viewing tailing off somewhat from where it was at its peak. Um, but it's still significantly above um, it, its level in what we now look back fondly as the more normal times. Um, and streaming has benefited in particular. Um, and I think that's clearly because people have more time at home and it, the whole situation has really played to some of the, the foundational strengths of streaming, which in simple terms sounds cliched, but I can watch what I want when I want pretty much on the platform of my choosing. Um, and it's, it is kind of funny because one of the attitudes at the beginning of the pandemic was great. I can catch up on all my streaming. And then about two weeks later, people start going, well, have I, have, I, have I used up streaming now? Is there any more content left that I want to watch? Well, the answer is yes, and they've kept themselves very busy. But um, there are some other behaviors as well, which I think are very interesting, not specifically about viewing video, but which I think in this period where COVID-19 has, has had an accelerant effect on many things, I think they, they show us what is likely to come together in the future. One of those, for example, is, is video chatting. And I'm not talking about the, the work-related video conferencing and so forth, which has obviously increased. We've seen in our data that um, one of the behaviors that has increased more than any other in terms of media use is the use of video chatting apps and platforms for talking with friends and family. And whereas that was the preserve of, of Gen Z and some younger millennials who did it with a high degree of frequency, it's now become much more mainstream. And many of the people are saying they're going to continue to do that. And I think that is going to become more and more of a feature of streaming platforms going forward, for example. So when you say streaming platforms, uh, connect the dots for me between what you just said, which we've been hearing the similar data from Facebook, which says that they're seeing video conferencing through the roof, not only on Messenger, but also on WhatsApp. Uh, certainly, we all now use Zoom as a word, as a verb, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, like Google uh, to suggest that we're video chatting. Um, how do you connect that to, to, to Hulu, to Netflix, to YouTube? Uh, we've seen uh, some co-viewing applications. Uh, one just launched from Hulu, and there was a Chrome extension for Netflix a few months ago. Is that what you're talking about, or am I missing the point? 
That's that's the kind of thing. Obviously, yes, the Netflix party one was out a little while ago. You've got Cena doing this sort of thing as well. There was a tie up with HBO uh, some some weeks ago that was announced. And yes, you mentioned Hulu. Um, and with things like Twitch and Discord, particularly among the younger cohorts, you you have an emerging pattern of behaviour which is about co-viewing both with people you know and people that you don't know. And we know that this has been a kind of a, a latent demand among viewers who've been exposed to any level of interactivity around television for a long time. I remember back in the late 90s in the UK doing research around Sky and, and soccer fans or football fans, as we call them in England, wanting to be able to watch a game uh, in the same kind of modality as a friend of theirs who's somewhere else who supports the opposing team so they can trash talk each other. It's it's that sort of thing has always been there, but now we have the underlying technology to make it possible. We've got what I still think of as nascent platforms emerging and starting to find their feet, and the demand is clearly there. We're, we're finding that there is real interest among consumers to be able to do that, and it's a natural extension of the way we view anyway. We, you know, TV programming with social currency. People, you know, it's the old cliches around water cooler moments and so forth. Well, we may not be gathering around water coolers anymore, but we're still talking, whether it's on social media or on platforms such as this, around programming. You know, we're always talking about what did you stream yesterday or what are you looking for? It's how it's how we communicate. So I think the opportunity to do that and to chat before, after, possibly during some of the programming um, is, is starting to come to the fore now. We are going to see much more of it, I think. And I think it's essential that we do for the, for the benefit of the platforms because that represents eyeballs and time. And at the moment, it's not ad-supported. I, I think we also should point out that there is sharing and co-viewing behavior that's happening outside of the platforms. I, I have some uh, football-loving family members. This is American football, by the way, not what we call soccer. Uh, and they're constantly on the phone with each other, texting, uh, talking. And so just because something is not enabled by a specific platform doesn't mean that sharing and co-viewing behavior is happening. We just may not be capturing that data. Um, Correct. Yeah. It's very much about um, taking the opportunity to enhance, to facilitate and enable that behavior in a way that works better for viewers and therefore benefits the platforms and, and probably in due course has a, a role in reducing churn um, and mm. could potentially be monetized in and of itself. And that's something that hasn't really been explored properly yet. It's a big question about how could brands become a part of that without becoming intrusive. You know, it's not about sticking a 30-second spot in the middle of the conversation. I, I'm constantly thinking that brands can probably, particularly with with uh, with live sports, and we'll get to live shortly. But you know, we've seen for years people, you know, doing themselves up to go to the football game, you know, with war paint and and wearing mm -hmm. the colors. And there seem to be opportunities for uh, for brands to be uh, participating with digital goods, you know, skins that you can put on your yourself or your avatar. So I think there's myriad opportunities for brands to play and be additive rather than interruptive. To your point, um, eventually, coronavirus will be behind us. What do you think are the habits that will be indelibly and permanently changed in terms of viewing, viewing uh, uh, particularly entertainment? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, I think streaming platforms are going to come out of this as being principal among the beneficiaries. Um, hmm. 
I think, as we know, a lot of people have kind of reorganized their portfolio of entertainment options. Some people have cut the cord with cable. Um, others have added more streaming platforms uh, to, to their portfolio uh, to gain access to more content at a time when they want it. Um, and they've started to explore different types of content as well. Um, one thing about the cord cutting, of course, is we have no real idea how many people will go back to cable once this is over, because a lot of the people who cut the cord were doing so out of uh, economic necessity. Um, sure. Unfortunately, they, they may even have been thinking about it before, but they hadn't taken the decision. The decision was accelerated for some. Some we know will come back. They're always returners um, to, the, to the cable family, if you like. We don't know how many. But I do think it's safe to say that um, the position of streaming platforms is, has been consolidated uh, during this period. We, we've done work around perceived value of, of different content providers. Streamers come out ahead. Um, mm. We've done work even on uh, likely, uh, likely actions to be taken if people perceive that there is less new content coming to platforms and the solution that the kind of net outcome of that is that more people will add more streaming platforms to their, their portfolio of available content than will cut. And that's not true for cable. More people tell us that they will actually cut the cord if they can't find content on their cable subscription rather than looking to expand it and upgrade. Now that's what they tell us they will do. That's going to be different from the reality, but it consistently comes out in favor, pretty much however you look at it, of the streaming platform. So I think you're going to find that a lot of the growth in streaming um, subscriptions is going to be held steady and the usage as well is going to be retained. The the real question, I think the dangerous uh, thing about isn't uh, the, sorry, the, the population to worry about, just to, to restate isn't the cord cutters, because I think they are more likely to come back. Uh, generally speaking, from the cable industry's perspective, it's the cord nevers that, that I think are, are the, um, the real problem, the real challenge for them. Because every time a cable subscriber dies, that person's not being replaced by someone who's you know, getting their first apartment. They're getting a high-speed internet connection, but they're not, uh, generally speaking, signing up for cable. So those are the folks, golly, that I think uh, to, to worry about. Uh, Let's talk about in this this time where people are uh, at home, they're you know, looking for things to stream by themselves or with other people. What new adventures are we seeing in terms of exploration and discovery? How are people finding that next show that they want to watch? Is there is it word of mouth? Is are they relying on the things like uh, the sticks or the boxes that are coming from Chrome or Roku? Like how are people finding things? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not sure that we, we've yet seen new behaviors emerge because obviously one can only certainly within and around the platforms act in the way that is enabled um, by the media that we have. I think word of mouth um, does seem to have become more important and as because everybody is in that same situation where they're spending more time at home and they are inevitably looking for, for more and different types of entertainment. Um, that does seem to become more important. We haven't seen a particular uplift in, in voice per se that we're aware of anyway, um, though I think that is inevitably coming. That is that's kind of an inexorable path towards the increase in, in voice activated search and so forth. Um, social clearly plays a major part. Um, but I, I do think one area which is likely to emerge, and I'll be interested to hear what Asaf has to say about this, um, 
is this social component being linked more closely to the platforms themselves. It's always been a little surprising to me how absent social social functions are from streaming platforms, whether that's about integration with the, the, the big players in Scram, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth, or whether it's actually a social functionality so that you can interact with your peers, whether you know them or not, for that matter, um, in terms of getting reviews or recommendations for content, going beyond the recommendation engine um, to, to, to get an idea of where you're going to find content with the, the benefit of um, what you effectively get in word of mouth, which is the reference from someone whose taste you understand and you know. I think we're going to see so more you're really, So you're really talking about the same thing in just sort of with two different time signatures. We were talking earlier about uh, simultaneous viewing across different locations with, with house party uh, or viewing party, et cetera. And now you're talking about, okay, you've got the algorithm that's tracking you and telling you what it thinks you're going to like based on what you've seen before and what you've watched and how long you've watched it, but that the missing piece there is the social piece, which is here's what all your friends are watching. Is that right? Yeah. It's that human and emotional component that an algorithm can never get you to. What you can get from out in an algorithm is, is, is valuable, obviously, um, and it's very much data replaced. But knowing that somebody um, has, is, has given you the lowdown on why this is a good recommendation, uh, it's not just simply you watch that, therefore you will watch this. That is definitely holds good to a point. And then there's the emotional similarity within shows, which isn't obvious out of metadata, out of in relation to how people perceive certain types of shows um, hmm. that will go to my mood. I mean, bear in mind, we always say, I feel like watching an action movie. I feel like watching a comedy or whatever it happens to be. That's That's how you navigate the argument within the home about what you're going to watch. Uh, on the on the service and with one remote, and understanding how emotion plays a role within viewing choice in given at given times and in sequences of programming is really important. And it's it's something we've done a lot of work on in terms of understanding how people perceive content, not just what that content is, but how they perceive it tonally, if you like. And also, I, I think just sort of to build on what you were saying. I think people generally are more interested in what's called satisfying than they are in optimizing that, you know, they, they just, they want to watch something and they want to do the least amount of work they can before they actually get to watch something. And so sometimes the, the, the homework assignment of having to go and do a, a thesis on figuring out what you're going to watch is why I think this is why they saw reruns of the office and friends and the big bang theory are so popular. It's like, Oh, I'm just too exhausted to find something new. I'm just going to watch something that I know I like. Um, since we are talking, we are the Interactive Advertising Bureau, I do want to at least to dig in on, on where you think the next innovations in streaming ad experiences are going to be. What's exciting for you? What's coming next? Uh, what do you, where do you think uh, lots and lots of scale will come for? You know, what's exciting personally for me is the fact that we're doing more and more work with clients who are trying to look beyond the construct of advertising. You know, we talk about the future of advertising. We talk about innovation in advertising a lot. But it, it's part of our history that when we innovate, uh, just think of our media history, when we innovate in media, we tend to take forward the advertising model that has pre-existed and been successful on prior platforms. You know, we, we did it with newspapers and we did we took it for radio. We took even from TV, we know, this concept of, of uh, or banner ads. We took display advertising and put it on the Internet. 
and so forth. That was pretty video. Um, There's a real opportunity with streaming media to go beyond spots. And it's not about the number of spots or the number of pods or placement even, but to see how brands can engage with audiences consistently, sustainably, and at scale in in ways that aren't just about putting a 15-second or 30-second spot in front of them at a time that, that seems to work. Um, and we're doing a lot of innovative, consumer-centric um, uh, work to understand what the underlying themes are that audiences are open to uh, in order to find innovative communications inventory, should we say. I hesitate to use the word advertising because it puts us back to that construct of spots, uh, which aren't wrong. They're not going to go away. They will always have a place. But for me, it's about what else is there? Can brands look to effectively sponsor strands of content so that when I'm in that mood, when I'm looking for an action movie or I'm looking for something a little soothing and moving, but in 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 a very agreeable way, something uplifting, Maybe the uplifting content for a period of time um, would be sponsored by a particular brand, supported with uh, brand messaging around it, that is all about conveying that brand's relationship to that state of mind and that positioning. Hmm. I think those kinds of things are, are there because it's, it's, it's not about scheduled viewing. It's how does a brand play in a space which um, represents maybe certain emotional tonalities and that will attract particular audiences that they're after um, in a way which enhances the experience and isn't just about, you know, here's my ads, come up to the screen and in front of you, it's going away again. Again, that's huge. It's not going away. It it works at scale. But I think there are other opportunities that are are starting to come through. Let's talk about scheduled viewing for a moment then as we wrap up because, you know, uh, the the main differentiator and sort of the, the real the real advantage that traditional streaming television has, or excuse me, traditional linear television has had over streaming has been live, uh, mostly live sports, uh, mm-hmm. some live political events. Do you think that live is going to continue to be the, the domain of the cable box as opposed to streaming? My, I don't see live continuing to be the exclusive preserve of linear TV, no. Um, we're already seeing it, it change. I mean, last week, I think it was, uh, the announcement came out of the UK with Amazon um, going to be airing live and free some of the Premier League games. And now they're also on Sky, they're on the BBC as well, and it's been spread around. But Amazon is doing that live for the first time uh, in the UK. Uh, we already know that there's deals going on. There are basically experiments happening with with sporting bodies in here in the US. Roku last week announced more uh, linear channels. I think as live streaming becomes more the norm, certainly as 5G rolls out, I don't know what the period of time that's going to be, it's going to facilitate uh, and make inevitable uh, a greater degree of live content. But you, you use the word scheduling, and I think that's important. As, as the penetration and use of streaming platforms continues to increase, undoubtedly will, um, we're going to see, I think, Networks, certainly smaller networks, not those that have created their own streaming platforms, do distribution deals uh, to to reach. Say that again, please. I'm sorry, Mike. There's a bit of. They're going to see what kind of deals. I think we're going to see distribution deals 
between uh, yeah. certainly small, medium-sized networks and streaming platforms to maximize their reach, which, of course, is, is what they always try to do with every kind of uh, opportunity they have. I think that's going to become a necessity going forward. We, we know from our research that audiences, audiences like that idea. They're very open to it, uh, whether that's mm. news and weather, whether it's sports, whether it's entertainment, whether it's learning-related content and so forth. Uh, there is a general level of openness to that. And as they as they see examples of it, I think that will only grow. Well, that's exciting. And I think it also just speaks to how rapidly this space is going to continue to be shifting and evolving uh, over the course of the very near future. Um, Mike Loxham, SCP of Global Media and Entertainment from Maggot. Thank you so much for joining us on IB, their streaming edition. I hope we can have you back soon. Love to be back. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Mike. Uh, as we transition to our next segment, uh, let's share with you some more of what our IAB folks uh, have been streaming, what they were streaming last weekend, what they're excited about here on IAB, their streaming edition powered by Hulu. Let's take a look. My name is Nina Munoz, and I'll be streaming Dead to Me on Netflix. Hi, I'm Cheryl Goldstein. For me, uh, this weekend, I can't wait to continue watching The Great on Hulu. It is one of the best, funniest um, most interesting show out there right now. And believe me, I've been watching a lot of shows. So don't miss it. The great on Hulu. It's fabulous. Hi, I'm Orchid Richardson, and I'll be streaming Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu this weekend. I'm Brooke Stevens, and this weekend we're streaming Unorthodox on Netflix. I'm James Linney. This is Grover. And this weekend, we'll be streaming Mrs. America on Hulu. Hey, all you cool cats out there. This is Tierney Steele. And this weekend, I'm going to be streaming Central Park, a musical comedy by the creators of Bob's Burgers, airing on Apple TV+. Hi there, I'm David Cohen, and I'm planning to stream Future Man on Hulu this weekend. Because time travel sounds pretty good right about now. And we're back. Uh, I'm pleased now to introduce Eric John. He is the Senior Director of the Video Center of Excellence here at the uh, IAB. And he is going to be in conversation with Asaf Davidov, uh, who runs uh, Ad Sales and Experimentation. I'm sorry, I'm not sure. I just, I just screwed up Asaf's title. But I'll ask Eric to clarify uh, here to talk with, about new adventures in advertising and streaming. Can we please bring them into the stream? Here we go. Hi, Eric. I saw good to see you. So everyone knows, good to see you again. It's Asaf Davidov, VP of Ad Sales Research at Hulu. Great to, great to see you again. I like the experimentation. So, that sounds fancy. Add that. I'm adding that to my LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, right? Media is always a laboratory. So you're, you're in the middle of it. Um, so as everyone just heard on, in, in that video clip, Tons of people watching uh, video and streaming video certainly are at, at IAB, you know, and, and um, you know, the, the interesting question for us is how consumers are engaging with TV content. That's clearly changed, um, you know, with, with the, uh, with the take, with the, with the stay at home orders that, that locked us all down. Um, clearly that changed a lot of behaviors and thankfully things are beginning to open up. But the interesting question is, you know, if you've heard that old adage, you know, it takes it takes uh, 21 days to form a habit and 90 days to form a lifestyle. 
clearly a lot of folks are not going to go back to the old ways and and uh, and an approach to to watching television. Um, so Asaf, grateful to have you here because what we want to do is unpack what this means for advertisers in particular. A bunch of those IAB viewers, uh, I can tell you, were binging, and so we're seeing a ton of scale that didn't exist. Um, even just 90 days ago in Connected TV. How are you folks at Hulu um, handling that scale? How are you um, approaching that consumer who's binging? Basically, what does the new streaming consumer look like for you folks at Hulu? Yeah, uh, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, yeah, it's been um, it's been really the last like few years, you know, uh, you know I don't wanna just talk about the stay at home orders, uh, which has has it had an impact in, in people's consumption, both linear TV and streaming. But overall, I mean, the shift, we just heard it from Mike too, the shift to streaming is happening um, and it's it's shifting. And, you know, there's the cord cutters and cord nevers, as Brad alluded. You know, I, I think um, the cord nevers is really that, that sweet spot opportunity where um, people are recognizing that there's a, a new way to watch content um, on demand, on your schedule with, you know, uh, scheduled with your loved one to watch, and we're seeing co-viewing is, is up a ton. Um, so it's just sort of a new era in how people are consuming um, television. And and I think you know the stay-at-home orders had maybe sort of accelerated that a little bit over um, the course of the year. Something that people might have been willing to do or all kind of talking about, like oh, you know, maybe I'll try out that streaming service. I had a conversation with my dad yesterday. He was asking me the exact same thing. And like people are starting to get a little bit more familiar with that idea of using their smart TV, buying a specific um, device to be able to, to watch more consumption. We know that um, device consumption is up um, 40% um, this year. So not dedicated just to um, you know stay at home orders, but the, the fact that people are using that a lot more often um, means that they're gonna start watching a lot more content. So it's been, it's been really fun to watch in my uh, five years here. So um, Mike and Brad were earlier talking about that, you know, the cord cutter, cord never uh, dynamic. What, how are you finding the, the Hulu audience to differ or be similar uh, to the traditional TV audience? What, what, is, the, what is the viewing audience at, at Hulu like? Yeah, so the, uh, the audience has a median age of 33 years old, um, which comparatively to cable is about 15 years younger and 25 years younger than that of, uh, of broadcast. Um, and increasingly they're, you know, what Nielsen um, classifies as light TV viewers. So either they have a cord, but don't really use it all that often, or they never had a cord. Um, and that has a huge implication for marketers, especially, um, you know, from a lot of the work that we've done, um, kind of extended reach work that we've done versus linear television. We know that the average campaign, you know, on Hulu, 62, 62% of our audience will not have seen that ad on linear TV. And that is really meaningful when you're trying to cobble together GRPs, um, especially in a linear landscape that's starting to erode. Yeah. So a lot of the folks coming to this conversation, um, we've been hearing about the streaming wars. Um you know, HBO Max has just launched. We've got Peacock launching in mid-April. Um, lots of competition for eyeballs. 
What are you seeing in, in, in terms of Hulu? Because you've got your, your feet in both sides of the landscape, subscription as well as, as lower cost ad supported. How many people are on board with the ABOT side? Because clearly a lot of players are entering the space looking to monetize that, that audience. Yeah, we're, we're in a very fortunate position that we can offer consumers the choice into ads or no ads, and that we can still you know, monetize from that perspective. Um, today, when um, a new user signs up, or if we just look at kind of signups for, you know, what's today, June 8th, they're all the same day. I can't, I don't, can't keep track of it anymore. <laughs> right. um, Every day is Tuesday. <laughs> uh, about, you know, two, two thirds of uh, the audience who signs up today will opt for the ad supported um, service. And that's really meaningful because um, for those who didn't want to be in that ad environment, um, they're still able to watch that content. Uh, we're still monetizing them. Um, that money kind of goes back into the pool so that we can um, invest in, in better and new content. Um, but on the ad side, you know, we're obviously monetizing them and that audience is um, opting to want to see your advertisement. And what we've seen is, um, you know, people who are kind of opting into that environment um, have a higher level of, you know, brand awareness and favorability, purchase intent, actually buying products because they've put themselves in a situation where they're, um, where they're uh, you know, uh, want to see those ads. And, and honestly, a lot of our ad environment is sort of built that way. I know um, Brad and Mike were talking a little bit about ad experiences. Um, you know, everything is sort of based on some sort of viewing behavior, but trying to be, you know, one of our core missions is, is viewer centric, viewer first. Um, and so, you know, the, the option to have ads or no ads is like kind of the, um, you know, bottom level of, you know, you have ultimate choice over your ad experience. Yeah. Um, so you live in the in the side of the organization that is always talking to buyers, right? And we just released a blog post today called Prove It to Move It, Making the Case for CTV. Um, you know, you can't sell what you can't measure. And so I'd love to hear you give an update on what has changed with measurement, you know, over the past, you know, few months. What are buyers asking you for in justifying their spend, you know, on the ad side of the house? Yeah, they want it all, um, which <laughs> they're entitled to. And we're trying to, of course, on the publisher side, provide that to them. I think the two things that we're really seeing more than ever is what I would really call like top, top of the funnel and bottom, bottom of the funnel. Uh, that top, top is being able to do reach and frequency. And again, if we're talking about cord cutters, cord nevers, um, different audiences than are on linear TV, then it's becoming increasingly difficult for a buyer to be able to cobble together all of those audiences. So being able to have resources, tools, a better understanding of who they're reaching um, is, is sort of first and foremost when you're trying to do your pre-planning. Um, and then you buy your media and you want to know that it works and that you should continue to invest. And, and at the end of the day, we're all trying to sell something so um, our attribution practice is uh, booming and is, you know, really what uh, advertisers are after uh, trying to understand, you know, is a Hulu exposure driving some form of, of sale, whether that's walking into a store, buying something, you know, uh, online, just visiting a website. Um, and we're trying to build a lot of different tool sets um, to be able to answer any part of that funnel. Yeah. So another key metric in the prove it, uh, you know, 
matrix is co-viewing. You know, a lot of a lot of clearly OTT and connected TV is digital video at its core. Yeah. Um, and yet it's this shared environment. And certainly in my home, a ton of, of shared viewing happened. Sometimes it was a, a fight over the over the remote to see who got to stream what. But what are you seeing in terms of that co-viewing? How are you measuring it? And um, is that part of the, you know, the actual um, I.O. at this point? Yeah, so we uh, last year, I think at our upfronts, announced our partnership uh, with uh, Nielsen, Nielsen DAR, that is also inclusive of OTT, uh, which it hadn't been before. We were very proud of that. But with that, um, we were trying to make it a little, a little bit more apples to apples to what the linear TV marketplace has always looked like, which has been individuals, not households. Digital has always sort of been directly to a household because it's you're targeting based on the IP, and we're trying to take it kind of a step further beyond that. So um, most of our buys are based on that DAR with co-viewing, um, and that's taking into consideration, yeah, everybody who's watching in a lot of different instances, and there's a lot of work to be unpacked here about how we better reach those people, uh, which today we're not necessarily doing, but we have a first line of sight into how often it's happening. And I would say, you know, the, the average that we see um, is um, 1.2 for every ad that's served, there's usually 1.2 people behind the screen. So, uh, you, you know, a 20% kind of lift in, in terms of co-viewing there. And we know that that was happening, especially during stay-at-home orders, that was happening obviously a little bit more often uh, because people had nowhere to go, so they were fighting over their screen. Uh, but in general, people wanna watch on the big screen um, together as much as possible. Um, and whenever they're not, they're sort of being relegated to the other one because they're like, I don't wanna watch that show right now. I'm gonna watch on my iPad over here. <laughs> so um, one of the other behaviors, I think that uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, seeing how it'll evolve. You know, sports has clearly been on hold. Um, I know you've been watching The Last Dance, you know, the incredible documentary yeah. about uh, Michael Jordan's career with the Bulls, but we're all hungry for the return of sports. Talk about what that uh, return to live programming might look like. Have budgets been on the side and are waiting for that, uh, you know, for the sports viewer? How are you, have you pivoted to answer buyers' needs for that audience who clearly are watching other things like yourself with The Last Dance? And what will the return of live look like? So prior to live, um, we were trying to come up with ways to better understand who those audiences are so that you could target them. To go back to my earlier point about attribution and the reach and frequency piece, you know, we have our live service. We kind of have a better understanding of who NBA fans are. And so then we use that data to better inform what was happening on the SVOD side to say, well, you know, mm -hmm. NBA people also watch Modern Family. So um, I get that you're not necessarily able to reach them during this live event, but you can start to cobble those audiences in different ways. Um, but I, honestly, I think that live, there's definitely a place for live. I know, you know, Mike was sort of speaking to the opposite. And, and as a streaming service, I should maybe argue that it's all coming our way. But I, I do think that there is a, an appetite for live. I can't wait for the NBA to come back. Um, and I think that eventized television um, that um, reaches large groups of people kind of as, you know, their interests and hobbies, like it's still very much important. It's still very much of the time. Um, so I, I think there will be kind of a push and pull where um, live television will be more of the eventized stuff and everything else will kind of shift towards 
well, I'll just watch it on my time, but I'll find the right groupings of people to still engage in that type of conversation together. Yeah. So it is a, it is an entirely new game. I cannot wait for, uh, for that day when we can uh, have arena based viewing because having an audience of mannequins is clearly not going to work <laughs> going forward. Um, yeah. So we're at time. I want to uh, thank you, Asaf. Always great talking to you and, and hearing what the, uh, what's happening in the lab at, at, at Hulu with, with audiences and advertising. And Brad, turning it back over to you. Thanks again, Asaf. Thank you. And Eric, I'm having trouble with names today uh, for, for that wonderful conversation. Um, I am going to invite everyone in the audience to share with us here at the IB what you're streaming right now. The way to do that is to email your video, take it with your phone. It only has to be five seconds long, as you saw from the videos that we have, and email it to there at IAB.com. And we will share some of the submissions that we get with you next week. Um, we want to thank our friends at Hulu for supporting this special streaming edition of IAB There, powered by Hulu. We will return with the second episode of this streaming edition next Monday. Thank you for joining us now, and please join us then. On tomorrow's IAB There, we are excited to welcome Rajiv Gold, the co-founder and CEO of Pugmatic, Pubmatic, who will talk about how COVID-19 is reshaping digital advertising. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Tufika Mahinadin. My name is Brad Behrens. I'm the editor-in-chief here at the IAB. Thank you so much for watching. As we roll out, I will be sharing with you uh, some more of what our IAB compatriots were watching last weekend as they were streaming. And again, please share with us what you'll be streaming uh, this weekend uh, upcoming. Uh, thank you so much for joining us once again. Um, please come back tomorrow because you know that if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, it's time to IAB there. Enjoy these videos. We'll see you next time. My name is Rangina Bajnat, and this weekend, I'm going to be streaming Little Fires Everywhere, only on Hulu. Hi, I'm Zoe Soon, and this weekend, I'll be streaming Normal People on Hulu, because right now, normal seems like escapism. I'm Graham Spencer, and this weekend, I'm going to be watching Hollywood on Netflix. My name's Holly, and this weekend, I'm going to watch The Last Dance on Hulu. Hi, I'm Courtney McDermott, and this weekend, I'll be watching Killing Eve on Hulu. Hi, I'm Zach Carlson. And uh, this weekend, I'm going to be streaming Avenue 5 for the second time on uh, HBO Max. My name is Natalie Hammingson, and this weekend, I will be streaming Vita on the Stars app. I'm Brad Behrens, and this weekend, I'll be watching Rocketman on Hulu. Hi, my name is Lucia Cameron, and this weekend, my husband and I will be streaming Homecoming on Amazon Prime. Hi, I'm Joe Pilla of the IAB, and this weekend, it's all about the second season of Rami. Hi, this is Evan, and I'll be streaming Adam Sandler's Uncut Gems this weekend on Netflix. Hi, my name is Patrick Dolan, and this weekend I'm watching The Great on Hulu. Hi, this is Jarrett Wold, and I'll be streaming Avengers Endgame on Disney Plus for like the 10th time this month. Hi, I'm Danny, and I'm going to watch Lilo and Stitch only on Disney Plus.